for the week of November 1st, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the premiere episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 9, The Marshal. This episode was directed by Jon Favreau, and in it, the Mandalorian Din Djarin seeks the assistance from Gore Goresh to find other Mandalorians that may know the whereabouts of the enemy sorcerers that will be better caretakers of the child. After a brief fight between Mando and Koresh's thugs, Koresh tells Mando that there are rumors of a Mandalorian living on Tatooine. When Mando arrives to what once was Mos Pelgo, he meets a marshal who wears recognizable Mandalorian armor and protects the town from various threats. John, <laughs> what did you think of this episode? Well, first off, that was an excellent introduction. Did you write that? Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah, no, that 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 was smooth. That was that was very polished. So I, I enjoyed your introduction, but I got to say, I enjoyed the episode a little bit more than your introduction. It is very good to be back. It's good to see the show in top form. And I don't know if I could have had more fun with this episode if I tried. It was so great. I mean, it just starts with exactly what you wanted to start with. You get a nice, great shot very early on of the child, because that's what we've all been waiting for for the <laughs> last couple of months here is we want to see the baby. So we got that. But let's go ahead and dive into this episode. Mm hmm. So this opening sequence, the Mandalorian arrives to this planet on the outer rim and into this city that is very, uh, very artistic in forms of tons of graffiti in this town. It looks like it's probably run by a bunch of thugs. And in the darkness, there's these kind of red eyed dog beast <laughs> things that are stalking them in the light. Yes. So Gorgoresh. He's this guy that has some information on some Mandalorians and Mando goes to this planet and they, of course, it's it's like classic Western-y type of setup. I mean, you're, you go into the city, there's a fight going on and they're talking uh, very similar to Anakin talking at this show, like they're paying attention to the show, but they're still getting business done here. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't getting uh, like Western vibes so much as like gangster movie vibes. It's obvious that this guy is a kingpin of some type. Uh, everyone in this arena reveres him. So, um, yeah, there, there was a there was a sense of underworld organized criminess to it all. Um, yeah, a, a fun way to kick things off because, you know, we get into the action. The, the second the Gamorrean guards come on screen, mm -hmm. we're off and running. They they really didn't uh, miss a beat in getting us into it. And uh, to speak to those mystery creatures i think it's best that we don't know what they are are they yeah. just wild space dogs or or you know what is lurking in the shadows it makes it more tense you know as they're coming into the town like what kind of danger are we walking into but the payoff is excellent yeah. uh, and the fact that we never see them and it's only we shoot out the light and then in the shadows we know you know the the menace that is going to be uh closing in on uh yeah the kingpin uh beautiful just a a really great cold open set piece to to just jump us right back into the story and and whet our appetite for even bigger things to come well and then you have of course Gorgoresh trying to capture the child to show the mando's hand and to trying to get him to go into whatever elaborate plan he has here and of mm -hmm. course there's a mistake and right away we get uh we get reminded that the mandalorian has these tools up his sleeves that he yes, can use literally to break yeah. out 
And the child obviously has been around Mando enough that they know (laughs) what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So this fight scene, you have the Mando fighting off everyone in this club. I mean, it is a classic chapter two from last year where the Mando goes and is taking uh, taking out all the stormtroopers. And then Gorgoresh is obviously, like you said, is kind of overrun by the Mando hanging from a light post and then tells the Mandalorian that there is another Mandalorian out on Tatooine. Now, were you expecting to go back to Tatooine so soon? Well, I knew we were going back to Tatooine because we saw it in the trailer or a planet suspiciously like Tatooine with Banthas and whatnot. So we, we know that Tatooine is just for whatever reason, this dusty little planet in the, the outer rim always seems to factor into star Wars. So I wasn't surprised what I was a little dismayed by was like, Oh, okay. Are we going right to Boba Fett? Like, is this just, is is this going to be an obvious story that they're about to tell? And I'm I'm kind of glad that it wasn't as obvious. You know, it's fun to go back to Tatooine if we're seeing something new. And that's something that we got this time. Last time we went back to the same bar in the same town and kind of repeated a lot of beats that we'd seen before on Tatooine. Whereas this time they really, really expanded the the lore of Tatooine and what the world is and what the, you know, the, the natural, um, dangers are on the planet so i was more than happy to revisit it because they got creative and they really opened Mm -hmm. things up for us yeah and even though like you said we go eventually to this new place on tatooine that has not yet been explored in uh the canon verse where i mean there's mention in a couple of the books but we don't actually see it and we never have seen it on a live Mm -hmm. action screen of course but before we do that, we do go back <laughs> to the same landing outpost that Mandalorian originally goes to attaching from the first place. And we get to see R5 come back. And this is yes. definitely the same R5 from A New Hope, right? Yeah, it. we know that it is. Uh, he had a cameo last season in the bar. Mm-hmm. And in the gallery documentary that we just finished covering, you know, for some off season coverage, they go out of their way to make sure that R5 is R5 by even giving him the distinct, uh, scorch marks from when his motivator went bad at the beginning of new hope. Uh, and you see that, you know, they have a kind of like over the shoulder view of R5 and you see the top of his head and you see the, you know, the, the burnt goopy oily mess, uh, from his blown motivator. So, yep, that's, that's our R5. Absolutely. And he's still just as incompetent as he ever was. Yes, he is. But it, but he eventually gets a job done. He eventually pulls up a map and shows the Mandalorian exactly where Mos Pelgo was and where he would mm. go to find what he is going to be searching for, which is mm-hmm. Cobb Vance, played none other by Timothy Oliphant. And boy, when you need a sheriff marshall sure. character i mean this is just the perfect type casting of all time just keep <laughs> bringing him in so what did you think about like immediately the first chapter of season two we get boba fett's armor like we all knew it was coming but mm-hmm. i was not expecting it to be just like bang right there like you know five minutes into the entire episode we get boba fett's armor yeah i like how they establish it because they don't tell you who's under the armor. So when he's in silhouette at the door, my immediate thought again is like, even, you know, from the opening scene, Oh, there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine. Well, okay. I'm making a connection here to what we saw last season and what we know about the fate of Boba Fett. So I thought, Oh, well maybe they're not sticking with the, 
the storyline of Boba Fett's armor was found, but we don't know what happened to Boba Fett. And, you know, this guy took it on and took the mantle. So I kind of like that they did repurpose that storyline and weave it in rather than have the obvious thing, which is, well, Boba Fett lived somehow, you know, the, the Palpatine gambit of let's just not get into it. He's here. Let's have some fun with Boba Fett and, and not dwell too much on why we saw him die. And now he's here. I'm glad that they didn't go that route though. You know, there's a little teaser at the end that kind of undercuts that whole notion. Um, I like that this is a, at least to the screen, this is a new character and obviously great casting. This was heavily rumored. Uh, this was kind of expected, but this is, this is what I would have wanted them to do with the storyline. If, if they are going to pay off that little Easter egg that they planted in the Tatooine episode last season, I'm glad that it wasn't immediately obvious and it wasn't just, Oh, it's Boba Fett. So yep. this was, this made me very happy. The only thing that doesn't make me happy about, uh, Timothy Oliphant's casting is, his hair is too perfectly quaffed for Tatooine. Like that immediately pulled me out of it. Cause I'm like, there's nobody in this dusty little town that is going to be preening this guy on a daily basis so that he's got just this perfectly manicured, you know, man, main. So as, as much as they wanted the character to be kind of smooth and charismatic and, you know, he's, he's just this good looking half politician, uh, you know, a half, um, whatever you know he gets the job done he's he's a tough guy but he's also super likable and charming uh i get the character it just he seemed a little too clean for tatooine that's my yeah. only critique yeah and no helmet hair like he takes right, off the exactly. helmet and it's just yes. perfect it's like come yes. on man like yeah it's like kylo ren taking off his mask all over again yeah well maybe they purposely did it that way for a <laughs> callback because we get another cameo easter egg callback to ages ago we get the ice cream maker again i mean mm-hmm. just uh, 15 minutes into this episode, we get the ice cream maker that, of course, Cobb Vanth steals, and there's some precious crystals in there, which he uses to exchange for the Boba Fett armor. Now, I really liked how it showed us where he got it, but not exactly mm-hmm. where the Jawas got it. Maybe we'll get that story, but honestly, we don't really need to, at least in this story of the Mandalorian. It's just, oh, okay, cool. If this is all that they do with uh, Boba Fett's armor, that's perfectly fine with me, but I think they're going places with it because, of course, Mando takes <laughs> it himself. Yeah. But yeah, Mando wants the armor. Yeah, we know everything we need to know about Boba Fett's armor because you can look at it and see that it's pitted and it, it looks like it was in an acid bath. And so you get the sense that this was somehow recovered from the Sarlacc pit. That's all you need to know. And because we get the little teaser right at the end of the episode, we can put two and two together and just, you know, wherever the story goes from here, there's all options on the table, but I don't think we need to step backwards. We had a very big flashback in this episode to lay the groundwork of, of where we're at in the time frame of Tatooine. And mm-hmm. so we, we have all the exposition we need. All they did was basically reset the deck and say, okay, we don't have to look backwards anymore. We know who's alive. We know the state of the armor. Now let's go, you know, make up some new stuff, you know, moving forward. We, we're not tied to any of that now. And I have a feeling that Cobb Vanth is going to get some sort of Mandalorian armor in the future, whether or not Mando gives back Boba Fett's armor or something. Because what we do find out about Cobb Vanth is that he is kind of an honorable man. I mean, right. he's a guy who's protecting the town. He's a sheriff protecting it from these these threats that are coming in and trying to take over the town once again. And, of course... You have this issue with this giant sand dragon that is spitting acid <laughs> everywhere and eating all the banthas that, of course, Mando also kind of takes a an honorable approach and they kind of get to this agreement and say, OK, if you help me kill this dragon thing, I'll give you the armor and you can go on your way. And 
yeah, it just this whole episode, there's not a whole lot of storytelling done. We don't really find out a lot. Nothing is really revealed. We we kind of progress very quickly early on in the episode, about 10 minutes on. That's basically all the progress in the story we get. And then it's right. just this. Let's kill this dragon. Yeah, it's the adventure of the week. Yeah. And I loved it. Like, usually I kind of <laughs> complain about these. Hey, oh, we only got eight episodes. Like, come on, like, just get through with this story so that we can see all the cool stuff. But we go back once again to where this dragon is dwelling. So, of course, Mandalorian and Cobb Vanth, they get help from the sand people. And the sand people know where this thing is living. And, of course, it's living in an abandoned Sarlacc pit. So this is definitely the same Sarlacc pit. I wouldn't say that. Not necessarily. (laughs) Just to go on a, a slight diversion here. Way back in the day when I was a kid, there was a Star Wars game. I think for Super Nintendo, I think it was called Mm -hmm. Super Star Wars, actually. And a big early section of the game that I remember takes place on Tatooine. And one of the things that you have to do is avoid a lot of this indigenous danger um, that you don't really see too much of in the movie. You know, we get a skeleton of a crate dragon in the background as 3PO and R2 are Mm -hmm. parting ways, you know, after they get out of the escape pod. So we know that this is a thing that exists and this is something that's been built up in legends lore. And then, you know, through video games and other media. So, uh, they're not just coming up with this out of nowhere. This, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And in that game and in other lore, we know that Sarlaccs are just, again, a, another thing that exists on Tatooine. And there was nothing particularly remarkable about the one that Boba Fett, mm-hmm. uh, plummeted into. So I don't think we need to make that assumption, especially considering if, we're assuming Jabba is somewhere in the vicinity of Moss Eisley, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the hive of scum and villainy where all of his bounty hunters hang out. We're assuming that Jabba's palace was somewhere around there. Right. There's no reason to assume that they would travel, you know, way far out of their way to find a Sarlacc. These things probably exist, you know, every few miles mm-hmm. <laughs> on Tatooine. So I wouldn't read into it. I just like that they're taking what's already been established and they're helping to realize it in a, a grander and just more engaging way than you could ever get in the movies where these things were just background props. Yeah. yeah. Well, and speaking of background props, we have a very familiar looking speeder that mm-hmm. Cobb Vanth yes. is, is using. I mean, this is a very, this very much looks like Anakin's pod racer from episode one. There's um, no doubt. There's yeah. no doubt. This was absolutely salvaged at some point in the last 40 years. And uh, what a nice callback. Again, we were talking a lot about fan service when we were going through the last episode of Gallery about connections. And we were talking about how the, the best fan service isn't in your face. It's there for someone that is up on the lore and has seen pretty much everything there is to digest. They're going to pick up on it. But for everyone else, it's just, you know, it's just cool production design. And it doesn't distract you or pull you out of things. And this was one of those moments. If if you did enjoy the prequels and you've watched the Padres scene a number of times over, you're going to know immediately exactly what that thing is. And it's going to be a fun little thing for you to enjoy. And for everyone else, they can still just take the show on its own terms. And it's just more history, you know, baked into the show. And one of the things that I do want to bring up, because there is a lot of the the rumors that this is indeed the same Sarlacc that this Craig oh, Dragon's drilling. So okay. if there is, if there's any weight to that, which I like your point that they don't need to go, you know, hundreds of miles away on the other side of Tatooine to find a star like right. it, because they're probably all over the place. But if it is, we've kind of already got hints that something is going on here because of course Boba Fett's armor, we have a rumor of a dead Sarlacc, and of course Cobb Vant points out like, 
yeah, I never knew any of these things to just be dead. So if this is the same one, then mm. how did it die? And how was the armor retrieved? Okay, so I took that a completely different way. I took that to mean if you get freaked out at the Sarlacc, you know, if that mm-hmm. was the big baddie in Return of the Jedi in that that sequence, and that's something to be feared, and you know, you tread lightly around a Sarlacc pit, and you just you know you you keep your distance. If that's uh, a serious like level up baddie on Tatooine, this thing eats those things for lunch. Yeah. That's all I took that to mean was it, it wasn't like saying definitively one way or another which Sarlacc this was or or making the case that there's like only one big one on Tatooine. And so if it's dead, maybe that's because Boba Fett blasts his way out of it. Or like, I don't think that there was anything. I don't think they were attempting to allude to anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think all they were saying is there's only one thing on Tatooine big enough to just munch down on a Sarlacc and not face any opposition in the process. And that's a crate dragon. That, yeah. That's how I took it anyways. That is also extremely possible and probably even more likely. Like you said, Tatooine's a huge planet. There are a number of threats. There's probably not just one Sarlacc that's around this planet. There are probably Mm -hmm. multiple ones. So providing context to that, I think, is uh, is making a really good point here. But anyway, they have this little, (laughs) this cave-dwelling crate dragon that they... Uh, very much go after and this very uh, this feels like you said the mission of the week this is the Mm -hmm. this week's goal is to kill this dragon so that mando can get this armor Mm -hmm. and they are eventually successful with a couple of deaths to sand people and of course the (laughs) banthas like i I feel terrible for these little banthas that are being used as bait here yeah, yeah, you really sympathize with the Banthas, particularly because they they go out of their way to give you a close up at the 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 dopey like mucus dripping face of a Bantha, and you're just like, oh, this is just a big dumb cow. Yeah, and it, it doesn't mean anyone no harm. It, it 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 couldn't use those big horns on its head if it wanted to. It's just this this lumbering gentle giant. <laughs> And they're just so dumb. <laughs> they just they just stand there and get devoured every every uh, you know every every time they they turn and look for some water or something and they they turn their back. One of these crate dragons comes and and mows down on them. Um, I was amused and a little sad, you know yeah. that that um that they're just such easy fodder for a crate dragon because you do kind of sympathize with them at this point and just seeing them uh just as as more of a, a natural creature in mandalorian than we've ever seen them in the movies because again you know they're they're basically background dressing you don't really get up close and personal with a mm-hmm. a bantha in the movies so it just it, it makes it hit a little bit harder when these things get taken out like why oh mm-hmm. you know he didn't mean no one no harm but anyways you gotta you gotta have some emotional stakes and i guess the banthas are who we're rooting for in this one yeah and then they're the one finally figures it out and is like, oh, wait, I got to get away from this thing. And then, of course, Mando uses that one for the yes. ultimate bait, which offs this dragon. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this poor little, this poor Bantha. There's just so many that get devoured here. I like that there's one Bantha. Remember, the the one Tuscan Raider brings the Bantha up as an offering. Yeah. And when the ground starts to rumble, the Tuscan Raider runs. And I'm thinking in my head, because I know movie logic. Their vision has to be based on movement because we've already established that in Jurassic Park, right? Like big, bad things with huge teeth are going to go for the smaller prey if it's moving and like they alert on it. And so it's funny that they kind of did that with this, that the crate dragon could have had the bantha, which is the obvious easy target. But no, something else catches its eye and then he's off to the side. Um just fun little, you know, uh, just a little detail that didn't even have to happen, but it just makes the episode that much 
denser and more engaging and just ups the stakes. Cause I think that might be the first like human character to die mm. in this episode. Obviously there's many more, you know, we yeah. get acid spit and, uh, crushing and eating and all sorts of, uh, hijinks after this but i think that was the one that says yeah the stakes are real you know like this thing it, it can take people out too just like without thinking about it so uh a lot of fun to be had mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know uh we could we could kind of dig deep on all the tactics they use to finally best the dragon but um my thinking as i was watching it more than those specifics was just um how many people they were happy to watch die yeah. <laughs> on screen in this episode I'm, I'm thinking that that's pretty intense sure they're most of them are tuscan raiders and you don't really get to know these people before they're melted or whatever but there was a lot of carnage to deal with this crate dragon i hope when all was said and done everyone felt that it was worthwhile because i think about half the town must have gotten you know done in in this little adventure so well and if you're gonna overanalyze something like that like maybe this is setting the stage for this is gonna be a season that people are going to die the characters sure. are gonna die and maybe that's the setup maybe it was just let's just let's put this thing on the map we have these these crate dragons from legends we have mentions of them in books and video games where they're really kind of you know badass but we never actually see anything on screen so maybe this was like a feloni favreau kind of collaboration where they're like let's just let's have let's show off what these dragons can do and why they're such a threat here i've Um, got a conspiracy theory about that go ahead this is episode number one it was written by favreau and we know that he laid the groundwork for the mysterious person who has boba fett's armor last season so we know that this story has been in the works for a while. Like he knew that this was going to be one of the episodes. It could have just as easily landed in the first season if they'd wanted it to, but this is just something that he's wanted to do. My hunch is that they've been gathering the assets and the creatives for this, doing the creature design and the locations. I bet that all of these assets are things that they've been working on for a while. So they knew that they could go really big with this episode because they've already got a whole library of stuff they can do on Tatooine because they've got buildings, they've got mountains they, they they know how to assemble a tatooine episode at this point so i think they just said if we want to come back with a bang let's do the biggest most cinematic episode we can possibly do and if you watch this episode it is grand like it mm-hmm. would hold up beautifully on the big screen they've got these wide shots with the crate dragon ascending from the sand and just little people in the foreground and it gives you the sense of scale and there's a depth to it and there's a, a a majesty and a weight to how it moves. And they just, they, they knocked the CG out of the park on this. They knocked mm-hmm. the, I, just how wide they were able to go with the lens and the world. So I think that they just said, we're coming back. This is a popular show. We know a lot of people are going to be checking it out for the first time because it, it got mm-hmm. good buzz and got awards and all sorts of stuff. We really need to pull out all the stops and deliver a big epic first outing. So even though it was just sort of our adventure of the week, it's, obviously the, the biggest adventure of the week Mando's ever had. And I think that that's absolutely fitting for a season premiere. Go big or go home. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very reminiscent, of course, of Game of Thrones that would open up yeah. season premieres in IMAX. And maybe that was a plan right. that they had before COVID hit that they were going to release Could this be. on the big screen. Be. Um, because yes, it's exactly like you said, I was watching this on, on my you know big screen TV and I was still blown away by everything mm-hmm. that was included here. And it's, it's setting the stage where, I've heard comments from people that were casual watchers of the Mandalorian and that have watched kind of the previews. And they were saying like, it looks like season two, they are going all out on the special Mm -hmm. effects. Like it looks like they're putting some more money into it. So it makes me excited to see what else they have in store because this is, this is the premiere episode. Mm 
Like this isn't some finale where they throw in as much like the rest of the budget onto this episode. This right. is the premiere. This is setting the stage for something big. And of course, it ends on a on a mysterious figure that we don't mm. know who it is, but there's something mysterious going on. And the big reveal is that this is indeed Morrison coming back. This is the part or one of the parts. We don't know how many parts he's going to be playing. But who does this appear to be? for you okay well i only took it one way and i know that you know obviously it could be any number of clones that survived uh the old republic days but my hunch the fact that we're on tatooine the fact that we've found some armor that belonged to a a clone that should look suspiciously like tamir morrison Mm -hmm. uh and the fact that he has an interest in basically tracking you know the whereabouts uh where this armor happens to also be that just says to me this is a grown-up boba fett plain Mm -hmm. and simple if if we're going to follow the other storylines that have been established in legends and i believe in canon now as as well boba fett did survive so there's no reason to assume that this couldn't be him and he's on tatooine so if i'm just gonna do occam's razor on this that's boba fett we're looking at Mm -hmm. yeah and that's kind of my gut reaction too um in case disney and favreau and company they're doing kind of a bait and switch the things that would even though i would like that more that it's boba fett but Something that would drive the story forward would be that it's one of the surviving clones that, of course, knows where Ahsoka is or knows Mm. how to contact Ahsoka. Sure. Because that would be, of course, the biggest thing that could drive everything forward and get us onto the story. But if it is Boba Fett, like there is some sort of play here. Like he got out, got separated from his armor and obviously is wanting this back because, like you said, he cares about the whereabouts of this armor to the point where right. it looks like he's now tracking Mando. Yeah. So I don't know if this is canon or not, but my head canon has always said that Boba Fett's armor is Django's armor that he mm-hmm. just basically scooped it up. Cause he, he has the slave one. Like I'm assuming that he took that mantle, you know, when Django died and it just got, you know, beat up over the years and he had to repaint it occasionally. Like he made it his own, but I always just assumed it was his dad's. Yeah. So that being the case, if you lost your armor in this, you know, humiliating defeat in a Sarlacc pit and it just brought you low as a person, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't you want to reclaim your identity and your, your father's most precious possession aside from you? Like it, there's, there's something very poetic and fitting about him being heavily emotionally invested in getting that armor back. So that armor, as far as we can tell, is on its way to Mando's ship. Uh, I could see the slave one in pursuit or you know whatever whatever's going to happen from here on out i could see boba fett really wanting to have a run-in with mando and get his hands on that armor and that could make for a fun episode in and of itself wouldn't that be excellent that it's a slave one that damages mm-hmm. the razor crest in this preview that right. we saw where it's all beat up because we've yep. seen what the slave one could do and it is mm-hmm. a crazy good ship <laughs> with a, a lot of yeah. a lot of weapons on it so that would be fun to kind of see that go forward and who knows? Maybe Boba Fett could drive the story forward in having uh, knowledge of other things, or maybe there's something hidden in the armor that they haven't been able to really contact yet. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? We can speculate for hours on the coming episodes, but what we do know is that he is still on Tatooine. The episode ends, Mandalorian is still on Tatooine, and there is definitely someone that looks like a clone pursuing him. <laughs> And that's so far all that we know about this episode. There was so little that was revealed in the first episode, but it was so fun going through this ride. I greatly enjoyed it. Now, who knows what's going to happen? 
yeah, we don't know what we don't know. All we know is they set the table real nice. We've got a mysterious potential villain or, you know, some character that's going to pay off in a future episode. We had a, a big adventure um, that really broadened the universe or, or, you know, broadened the planet of Tatooine. So we had a very satisfying first outing and uh, we just know that the Mandalorian is back in top form and I'm ready to see where we go from here. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of uh, the child action in no. this one. He wasn't doing a whole lot or she, but we did get to see a cute little baby Yoda running around uh, hiding in things whenever a threat sure. appears, but it's just, it's great to see. And I think, that they're just preparing our heartstrings to be pulled in these in the final episode <laughs> of whenever Mando and the child part ways. If they do, who knows? I'm rooting for Amanda retires with the child and he lives amongst the, <laughs> the enemy sorcerers. But I'm sure it's going to be a heartbreaking goodbye when that eventually comes, probably in season seven. Who knows what's <laughs> going to happen here? But, you know, if they keep turning out episodes like this, they can run seven seasons. I'll be fine with it. I think Star Wars works better in long form. Mm -hmm. You know, having the whole summer to kind of ruminate on Mandalorian and just where Star Wars is at as a franchise. This is what I get excited about now. Like, this is what I'm looking forward to. I know mm -hmm. there's other movies in the works. As those get closer, of course, I'm going to get excited for them. But this is this is what we've got. And it felt so good to come back to it. And I didn't realize just how excited I was to revisit this series. Um, to speak about baby Yoda, uh, it is a boy. He always refers to him as a boy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if they'd kind of had baby Yoda save the day, kind of like he did with the Mudhorn, mm -hmm. I think I would have felt like, oh, that's kind of a cop out. You didn't have a good yeah. way to deal with the dragon. So I'm glad that baby Yoda took a backseat mm -hmm. and was just basically a little bit of comic relief to punctuate some very you know dire, dark, gruesome, uh, scenarios. Uh, I think that was the right way to play it. This is a Mando episode. This isn't a baby episode. We're going to yeah. get plenty of baby episodes and we're going to have, you know, those big moments where baby saves the day and stops the fire or whatever yeah. it is. We're going to get those. But this was one where Mando needed to use his wits and just, you know, yeah. use his gadgets and all of his wherewithal to, to win the day. And that's how I wanted it to go down. And ultimately that's what happens when, you know, he gets creative. He, uh, he knocks, uh, Timothy Oliphant's, uh, Jetpack, a la yeah. Return of the Jedi, uh, which is another great callback and uh, gets him out of harm's way just in time for him to do what Mando does. Uh, this was all great. And you get a, a dead crate dragon carcass being salvaged by the Tusken Raiders, which again is exactly what you would expect mm -hmm. like Bedouin desert people to do. They got to eat something, right? So, yeah. oh, there was so much right with this episode and it didn't need to really dwell on the baby for us to have a rich kind of palette to draw on for this one. So, I think, you know, as much as, as it was an adventure of the week and there's more questions and answers, this was a really tight, solid, fun episode. And uh, I just think they walked a lot of lines with fan service and callbacks and, and still being inventive with it. So, geez, uh, high marks. Yeah. Big thumbs up for me. That's, yeah. I guess, my final word on it. Yeah. And my last takeaway from this episode is on the child once again. So, the takeaway is the child doesn't need to get in the middle of things because I think that there's a trust that the child trusts what Mando is doing and, right. and that the Mando can take care of himself in most situations. Um, so I do, I did enjoy that there was, cause I was kind of waiting for it. I was waiting for the child to do something crazy and I'm glad they didn't because like you said, would have been a cop out, but this one, the Mandalorian shows his muscles once again, and it was great and I loved it. Yeah. Now that's actually really interesting. I never thought about that before, but it's worth saying that the only time that the baby has ever stepped up and really used the force is when Mando is down and out and literally on death's 
doorstep. So the child being force sensitive, I wonder if it just has, you know, this at this point, like a, a psychic connection, like an, an uh, just a, a force connection with Mando. And it knows when Mando's got it, like when Mando's in control of the situation and when Mando is like fading. Mm-hmm. And that's when the baby steps up. So uh, it'd be interesting if they continue to kind of uh, stick to that logic of when the baby's going to actually save the day, or if it's just a dramatic thing, you know, like when all seems lost and there's no more options, that's when baby shows up. Um, we'll see what they do, but just an interesting little mm-hmm. uh, sort of continuity that they have going on at this point with how they use the baby. Yeah. And you're, you're not saying that they're a dyad in the force, are you? No, okay. no, God, no, please. No, <laughs> That that is one that is one thing that the trolls on social media are really complaining about. And it's like there's nothing, there's no, there's no evidence of that. I doubt they'll go that route. But if they did, they would have to do a whole lot of convincing for me to be on board with that one. No, no, this show is doing everything right. So I just I don't want to I don't want to muddy the waters with any kind of you know online controversy. I just want to keep this show pure. <laughs> Stay away from all of that. Um. Anyways, what else is there to say? Had a lot of fun with this one. Can't wait for next week. Well, while people wait for our next episode next week, where can the people find more of you, John? Well, as listeners, I'm sure are well aware at this point, I have another podcast called SNL After Party, where we cover all things Saturday Night Live. Specifically, we cover every new episode, do a sketch by sketch review and uh, keep people apprised of all the latest happenings in Studio 8H. Um, They are producing live shows in studio during COVID, so there's plenty to talk about. And they're doing a run of six episodes at the very least uh, to cover the election. So there's a lot cooking with SNL and we break it all down at SNL after party, which you can find on YouTube by searching for SNL after party. And you can keep up with this podcast throughout the week on Twitter at star Wars TV talking by emailing us all of your predictions and your conspiracies about the Mandalorian at hello at star Wars TV talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes at our website at star Wars TV talk.com and wherever you get your podcast. And please don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe you can find the TV Talk Podcast Network at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always.